Hey podcast, welcome back to another episode. Now genuinely, today's is a wicked episode. I've, I've not even checked how long we were talking for, but it felt like it was 10 minutes and it most definitely not wasn't. So we've got Rick Hornsey on, who is the owner of the gym that I go to that's 10 minutes down the road, but he's definitely doesn't just own a gym so he owns the gym that I go to he also owns a CrossFit gym which is attached to it and then he's got Graft um, Events which is a CrossFit company essentially that runs I think he was saying he does 10 events a year 10 CrossFit events he's ex-military he's been through special forces selection and then in December he's rowing across the Atlantic which is just an incredibly ridiculous challenge so honestly I think you'll love this one and I think you're going to come off the back of it absolutely buzzing to get stuck in so enjoy the episode rick thank you for coming on my pleasure i uh, i was chatting to you earlier but i saw that you were up until 4am painting your house so fair play for looking as awake as you do <laughs> <laughs> just plenty of coffee <laughs> um at this point i've already done the intro so people kind of know who you are what you do but i thought it'd be right nice to go to start off by going back to the beginning when you were a builder weren't you for seven years and then 22 23 you joined the army 22 yeah so yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I left school at 15. Um, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Didn't have the world's best GCSEs. I wouldn't say I was um, not intelligent, but I just didn't apply myself at school. Went to um, my, my friend's dad, who was a, a builder and he gave me a job. So I went building, lasted for about seven years. Um, I, I was good at it and I, I had intentions of probably like opening up a building firm myself. But through the kickboxing that I did, I started doing some security work and then they recommended doing some military time. So I joined the military. Um, the recruiting office is a bit of a weird beast. They kind of just steer you, not necessarily where's best for you, but where's best for them. Oh, okay. Got and you. you usually don't know what you want at that yeah. point. Yeah. So because I'd come from a building background, they sent me to the engineers. Um, so I, my actual trade in the military is um, plant operator mechanic. So I drive all the diggers, bulldozers, things like that. So okay. I'm trained on all of those. Um, but I went straight down and did my commando course. So same as uh, Marines. Yeah, yeah. Because I noticed it was Army Commando Engineers, which yeah. is Green Beret. So I saw that. So are they linked to the Royal Marines, even though they're Army? So we, we're the same, like, <coughs> same qualification, if you like, as, as the Marines. We've done the same uh, training as the Marines. Okay. We do ours, like most of it because we've already done a basic training to get into the military, to get into where we're at. So we yeah. don't do the full 32 weeks like the, the boot next do because yeah. they're going from scratch. So we do that. We have about a 12-week, uh, what we call beat-up, that's our army unit. We basically just got thrashed for another 12 weeks. Oh, okay. Then we go down to Limpston and then go through, I think it's about another 12 to 15 weeks down there. Yeah. So it adds up. Like you still got 32 weeks yeah, there in total as you. well. So we do all the same tests as them. So like the Marines thing is on, is it on channel five at the moment or something? It's on uh, yeah, BBC yeah, maybe? Yeah, I've seen a few of them. Yeah, so that, you see all them lads going through that. So we did exactly the same, exactly yeah. the same camp down there. We did like test week. So you do the endurance run, the assault course, the 30 miler, we, yeah. we do all that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, luckily for me, they needed someone to go and work in the dive store. So I, like I volunteered, got straight in there. And then because I was working in the dive store, they fast-tracked me through all my diving courses. Oh, okay. So I spent probably at least seven or eight years out of my 10, like doing diving. Okay. Um, so you said, so, luckily, I presume you enjoy that then? I enjoy it, but it's um, it's seen as a bit of a specialist like course as well. So, oh, okay. you know, you get extra money for it. Not everybody like actually passes it. It's a bit of a selection process. Yeah. Um, 
So again, you get thrashed on that. They only want the fittest to get through there. Uh, and then I, I even managed to spend some of my time then at the dive school teaching it. So I spent about two and a half years actually teaching diving to the recruits that were coming on board. Wow. Um, I did the Arctic warfare. So we went and spent sort of three to four months up in the Arctic circle doing all that stuff, pretending to uh, fight Russians. <laughs> That'd be quite accurate now, enough it? at the moment, yeah. You'll yeah. be the first getting called in. <laughs> <laughs> You're only run about doing call-ups now, aren't I know, they? I've so, seen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, they've got my old address, so. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I missed out on what would have been my first tour of Afghan because uh, they left me doing like a sergeant's job running the dive store back in the UK which I was, I was gutted about because that was one of my big things to do on my tick list. To do a tour? Yeah, massively. You know, like you, I, don't, I don't get people that join the military and don't want to do that type of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. You yeah. know, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like signing up to be a mechanic and not liking oil and yeah, actually working yeah. on engines. It baffles me. Um, so that kind of frustrated me. Um, and at that point, I went and did um, selection for special forces. So I went for one called um, SRR, so Special Reconnaissance Regiment. Okay. Just a little bit like the Army's version of MI5. Yeah. So it's um, it's like the spy side of everything that I do. So I got, I think about four or five months through that. Is that about nine months? Is that what the full thing? I mean? You do a lot of pre-selection, a lot of pre-training, and then it's six months is the actual selection process. Right, okay. And you, you pretty much just get absolutely smashed for six months. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was very interesting. It was... It was very tough. It's, it's up there with like one of the toughest things I've ever done. Um, we did like the high speed police chasers. We went up in helicopters, taking photos, taking surveillance photos. We did all the CQB stuff. So debussing vehicles, all with live rounds. You yeah, know, yeah. Doing all your uh, doorway reveals and stuff like that, peelbacks. So you got to do all that, all that really cool stuff that you see yeah, all special yeah. forces do. Um, but as it was coming towards the end, I had a lot playing on my mind, so I, I soon realized, because when you're training, you train, and some of the people on the course are what's called sugar assets, so they're borrowed assets from 2-2, from Hereford SAS, yeah. and from SBS. Okay. They come and they kind of do the training with you, because they're going to work with SRR for a few years. Okay. So they have to be part of that selection process. So I was lucky enough where a couple of the lads were um, those sugar assets, and I got chatting to them, and also my DS on the course was from 2-2 for Hereford bloke. And he he really loved me to bits. So like he, he could see that there was a, a bit about me. Um, and it kind of, it dawned on me then that I'd, I'd gone for the wrong special forces. I think SB or um, SAS would have been miles more suited to me. Okay. The SRR, it's more, it is spy stuff, but they don't really kind of like go hot unless things go wrong. Right, okay. Whereas that, my kind of mentality was more, I just want to be kicking doors kick in. Right, okay. Not hanging rooms. back. Yeah. Right, I'm with you. So so they'd be like, in Afghanistan, they'd be perched up on a mountain, would they, like watching the stuff go on rather than actually attacking to, the village? To be honest, it was a lot a lot more like naughty or scary than that. So they, they wouldn't be up on hills. They'd be the ones actually in dish dashes down in the town Whoa. walking around. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was all about like infiltration, full on blending in a lot of the scenarios that they did on the training thing was uh, like x ira scenarios yeah because it's very easy to you don't need a full fake village to do that you okay. can do it in the uk training wise yeah got you. it's very similar um so that that was a lot of the training scenarios but yeah it would literally be kind of 
you, you're right in there. Wow. You're not miles away gaining the intelligence. Yeah, you're in yeah, the house yeah. with whoever. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, it's really, really interesting, really scary. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of dawned on me that I think at that point I'd, I'd kind of got them second thoughts of I've gone down the wrong route here. Yeah. One of the others would have been a lot better suited to me. At the same time, obviously, I'm still in touch with all the lads at my unit and they're gearing up for another tour of Afghan. Oh, uh, right. So presumably if they go off, you just stay on selection and you're training and crack under you while yeah. they go away. So I'm left with this dilemma where I'm like, there was a big part of me that wanted to see selection through. Yeah. Just to get like the sandy berry. Like, yeah. And there's not a lot of people in the world that earn that. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, do I stay and do that? But then I miss out on Afghan. And that was one of the biggest things really with joining the military. Um, or do I kind of VW voluntary withdraw and go and get on the tour to Afghan? And I decided, it's, I, th I think this still resonates with me. I think this is probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever done in my life and the hardest thing I've ever done because I'm not really a person that quits at stuff. So I take myself off selection to go back and go out to Afghan. Really, like, hit me quite hard. But I do think that it was the right decision for me. Um, so I did that and then went back to my unit, especially with the training that I'd just done and, and everything that had just come off, they were like 100%, yeah, we want you on the tour. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was me then going out, going out to Afghan, did a tour out there, um, came back from there, and that's when I went down to the dive school. So then I had about two and a half years down at the dive school, teaching down there. Um, and I'd probably say that that pretty much broke me military-wise. I'd had enough of the military at that point. So I'd... One of the things at the dive school was they just used to break people. So you'd have to carry heavy diving equipment, running around. They called it the island, but it was a lake. But for some reason, they called it the island. So they'd be like, right, you have to run around the island carrying all this heavy diving equipment. Now you have to carry the boat. Now you have to do this, you do that. And what really happened was you got like your stupidly fit mongs, for want of a better <laughs> word. So they weren't too clever up here, but they could push through all that. So then you just ended up with people that really struggled with the theory of diving. Yeah. Because there's a lot of theory in that. Yeah. But they didn't get broken on the fizz. So I was like, this is ridiculous. Like you're losing really, really good intelligent blokes. Because they're not quite fit enough for yeah, that. Yeah, or because they just can't quite hold that much weight. Like, right. Like it's, sound, it's just stupid. So I completely remapped the the way that it was done there because I was a PTI, so I could change all the fizz oh, stuff. That's, oh, okay. So you do actually have an input into that kind of, wouldn't normally, but I really fought for it. Right. So again, I really changed the, the, all the programming down there and made it more about like, like you can test fitness without breaking someone's back. So we just changed a lot of the stuff. It got a lot more of the, the decent guys through. So I think in my eyes, it was a good result, which for me is if you've worked really hard on something and not got any extra pay for anything like that, you should get recognition for it. But because this all stems back to me being a plant operator mechanic, what really happened is some fat bloke in another camp that does nothing but sit on his bum all day, but drives a bulldozer all the time, got promoted because he gets promoted ahead of me. Oh, uh, joking. Yeah, because they're using that trade all the time, whereas I'm not using it anymore. Right, okay. So even though I was fitter, I had way more kind of like specialist trades to my name and everything, you couldn't promote as quick as people that were like Just fat, playing lazy, the game. playing right, the game. Right, okay which just snapped me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's geared up backwards. Yeah. I was like, if I'm a hardworking person, then I can be hardworking for myself. Yeah. 
So that's when I decided that I'm going to kind of do this intelligently and sign off. So I really fought to, from the dive school to get a posting up to um, Harrogate. There's the um, young recruits, uh, Harrogate College up there. So as soon as I got there, literally within the first week, I handed my notice in. Right, you've got okay. to give a year's notice. Ah, uh, right. So I got that posting, handed my notice in, um, and then did my last year up there teaching the young recruits. Do they treat you differently when they know that you're leaving? Um, no, not really, because well, by that point, like you've, you've kind of, I think they lose out on it because you've got to give a year's notice. Yeah. So. I mean, if you speak to anyone, once they've given the notice in there... You're mentally on to exactly. the next thing, aren't you? They've mentally You're not going to be staying up late working on that, are you? You're going to be thinking about your next project. 100%, yeah. 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 So I was, very, I was just very intelligent about it. Like, I took no leave, even though they said that they had to. I was like, well, I'll just... I'll, I'll play the system. I worked as much as, like, if they needed cover for this, that, and the other. I'd be like, yeah, I'll take that, not take leave, did this. Um, I managed to get... I had an ongoing kind of... Um, I, I tore all my abs on when I was taking the the dive course so I had a few medical issues so I kind of played on them I think I've been out long enough now to, be, <laughs> to admit <laughs> that but I played on that so I pretty much got left alone right so they, they could there was only certain stuff that they could get me to do I managed to train three times a day because there's amazing training facilities yeah, and yeah. pool gym everything so I was basically a paid pro athlete for my last year <laughs> in the military it was amazing um, yeah, so that was my last year finishing up there. And then uh, when I left, I came back, moved back here. It was also about being close to back at home. I've been down south my whole career okay. in the military. So being back up here, trying to get established back in Halifax. Well, before you go on to that bit, are you going to start telling me about the gyms and stuff? I was, yeah. Let's, if you don't mind, I'd love to dive a little bit more into the stuff you've done and then move 100%. on to the gym. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So... If we go back to selection, it's very rare that I get to sit opposite someone who's actually gone on selection and I love all that kind of stuff. Obviously never done anything like myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what's are there any stories you can tell from that? Are there any lessons that you learned? Like anything that sticks in your mind that still helps you today? Yeah, I th I think it's um I think it's a big lesson in in everything. I like I take it on all the time in business, like it's in training, it's in everything. Um you you'd often see like really fit or really intelligent well people i don't want to be sexist and say blokes but do you have to be male do you to go on selection though no 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 oh, do you not, not not for especially not with srr right okay but, but again it's and this does sound sexist now but it i really like selection for the fact that it was kind of like all the bullshit got left right so it was just a case of you're not getting through just because you're female and we've got to fit a quarter yeah like if you're genuinely not good enough, you're not good enough. Yeah. You're gone. And I really liked it for that. It was just very honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of highlighted that there were some very, very fit people there and some very switched on people. But so many of them went. I think on our our selection course, there was something like maybe 260 started it. And within a couple of months in, we were down to 60. Whoa, fast then, isn't it? Yeah, and, th and those that have already that have got to that stage have already had to pass so many criteria and tests and fitness tests, mental tests, a whole lot to get there. They were all ex like the fittest and the most intelligent in the military, and still those numbers dwindled right. so fast. And it comes down to one thing, and it's just mental resilience. Yeah, and and so many people don't have it. They can be like the most intelligent person, they can be the fittest people, and think that they do this that, and the other, and and they're just not. They're weak in the head. 
they can't see stuff through. They can't push through hard times. And it's, it's exactly the same with business. Like, genuinely, I don't know how many people would have quit by now having done all the stuff that I've done. Mm. It's relentless. It's tough. Every, every month, there's something that's happened where you're like, I don't even know if we're going to survive this month. But like something's hit us now. Somebody's not paid, but I've still got people to pay. I'm juggling between whether I pay my mortgage or let that one bounce or pay this, that, and the other. Like my, my one hard, fast rule is always that the staff get paid first. But other than that, sometimes you've got to push like your, your landlord, worried whether they're going to throw you out. But it's, I think other people would just walk away. Yeah, yeah, well, many, many people would. Yeah, yeah. Is that something, have you always had that? Is it, do you think that's a skill that you can build? Or where do you think that kind of grit and resilience and determination and just that absolute I will not quit attitude comes from? Um, I don't know. I think there's a few contributing factors, but I think one of the big ones is probably like wee man syndrome. Okay. I'm not the world's tallest person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like growing up in Halifax and playing rugby league, there's not really any excuses for that. So even as a, like a, a young lad, one of the main things that always like stuck with me from my coaches was like, it doesn't matter your size, just hit them as hard as you can so that they never want to get hit by you again. So it's just like that resilience of, it doesn't matter on the rugby pitch, whether you're bigger than me, whether there's always a way to it. And even if I'm walking away from that tackle, just wanting to cry inside, I ain't going to show it. And even if it breaks my bones, I'm going to eat it just as, just as hard the next time as well. Um, because the main thing on it is getting you to, or getting the person that, you, that you're trying to be is that they're giving before you. And I think that's like, even from a kid, that stuck with me all the way through. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because when I asked you the question then, the thing that popped into my head, so when I was in secondary school, I was bullied. Like, just used to have, like, stuff I remember, like, people throwing. There was a group of about five lads, and I was a soft kid, to be honest. I didn't do, like, wasn't particularly fit. I was dead scrawny, didn't do any training, didn't play rugby or anything like that. And I'd always remember in my friends group, there was sort of a separate friends group that sat, and they used to, like, throw stuff at me and just call me names, and yeah. you can see the names now. Um, and I'm very much like, I don't care that I used to be bullied. I'm very confident now. But it's still interesting that when I ask you that question, that pops up into my head straight away. And I think a lot of, like when I'm training or when I'm riding or when I'm pushing through, I would feel I'm a person who's got that determination to don't quit and the same for his business. And it's interesting that you said it's like wee man syndrome because it's the same kind of thing for me that a lot of that motivation I think stems from, it's almost like proving people wrong, isn't it? And yeah. like, and even though I'm very much over that, like I'd quite happily just chat to the bullies now, like it is what it is. Um, it still motivates you even though it's like 15 years on. So it's interesting that you've got the same thing. I think, especially now in, in culture, there's a mindset of like, everybody's perfect and everybody's this. And I think really when you've got like pain points and stuff that's been a bit shit or if you've been bullied or if you know, you've worried that you're too small or whatever it is, I think you can use that and harness it to 100%. fuel you through. Yeah, I th I'll be honest. I think, I think this kind of modern, everyone gets a trophy for turning up yeah. and participating and this, that and the other. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure I'll get someone commenting because I'm saying this. <laughs> but but it's, I think it's like it's like a cancer on society. It's like people are, are now coming through. Like we get young young people joining the team, and they don't last because they've got absolutely no resilience. Okay, they've 
as soon as they get told they're doing something wrong and as soon as they get told off for something, they leave. Right. And it's like you, you're just getting told that you've just done something yeah, wrong. Yeah. Like tomorrow's a different day. And I'm not a shouty boss, like with stuff like that. It's just like you've got to be okay with being told that you've done something wrong. Yeah. I get it all the time. I'm the first person in my team that we're like, I'm a smart ass with them as well. I'm not going <laughs> to bother lying about that. But I'll be the first person when I've got something wrong that's like, yeah, old man's up, I've got that wrong. But, but kids these days can't handle it. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's purely because of stuff like that. Like you, you need to understand that putting hard work in and trying hard in sports or in school is rewarding whether that's with grades whether it's with the win and stuff like that you, you shouldn't be getting rewarded for just turning up yeah i 100 percent agree because life doesn't reward you for just turning up exactly like... but, but we've just both sat here and both said the main thing that have made us what we are and where we're going is something that happened to us as a child yeah that wasn't great yeah but that we learned resilience from it well if we if though our kids don't have something that teaches them resilience what's going to be their driving force yeah, like yeah. what's going to get them through when you know whatever challenges them on the dream that they've got it's like every no one's no one's going to get to where they where, wherever their dream is whatever they they aspire to be or do without some hardship yeah so if they don't know how to cope with that and push through it and we've just both said that happens and yeah, you learn that yeah. lesson as a kid so they need it and it very much, I think, both fitness and business is all about failing your way forward. Like, and I think you can kind of, it almost gets glamorized, I think, like failing and making mistakes, but then it still feels crap at the time. Like yeah, if yeah. you like fall short or you can't pay your supplier or you don't have enough for your tax bill or whatever it is, it still feels terrible at the time, but it is just just that over and over again, isn't it? And it's the same with, with mountain biking, it's falling off and then getting back up and trying again and falling off and getting back up or yeah, not yeah. being able to clean the climb and the same for, for like workouts, it's everything, isn't it? You do kind of fail your way forward. It's crazy, I mean, just look, look at um, like obviously with COVID, yeah. I mean, we were chatting about it before, but on a business level. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. But I had everything shut down. Yeah. So I had all my businesses shut down and it's like, yeah, but you got grants. It's like... <laughs> yeah, I got... they barely scratched the sides, I imagine. Exactly. They barely scratched the sides. Luckily, we had customers that still paid. But I mean, within... I think it was within the first two to four weeks, they said that like, if you're working outdoors, you can go back to work. Yeah. I went back on the building sites and I carried on building for 18 months, two years. I had all my businesses, but I still went back to a building site. Yeah, yeah. I found a way. It was tough. Trying to run businesses while you're laying blocks isn't exactly ideal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's hard. But I didn't give up, and we came out fighting because of it and came out stronger. Yeah. And while we were doing that, I completely revamped the gyms. So it's like, I was, so again, I was in until 3 a.m. doing that. But that's what pushes you ahead. It's that resilience to push through those hard times to be like, right, you've backed me in a corner. Yeah. I'm coming out swinging. Yeah, yeah. Not, I'm just going to take the punches. Yeah. And so. I think if anything, it's almost, you almost thrive on that, don't you? I think if you definitely as a business owner, like I think you thrive on that adversity, don't you? And you love like, if someone says, I'd do anyway, I love the fact that I've had people 
I had a friend who was like my best friend, best friend through secondary school. And it was when I was, it was when I was very first setting up MTB fitness. So I was a PT setting up MTB fitness and he was a, he moved down South turning, decided to become a copper. And I met him for a coffee and the past kind of two times I'd seen him over three months, he was like making digs and like little sly comments. And I remember the very last time I saw him, so I just decided I'm not going to see you again after this. And we were sat having a coffee and he was like, Oh, you, when are you going to pack in that silly little business that you're trying anyway? And I ran, Ironically, at the time, I was already earning more as a PT than he was as a copper. He didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and I remember him saying, like, when, when are you going to pack it in anyway? It's just stupid, that, isn't it? And at that moment, I was like, I'm never going to speak to you ever again. And I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think time, like people saying things like that, you've got to have it in you, I think. But you can use that so much motivation. Because oh, a lot of the time, you don't want to do the things that you're doing. Like some of the stuff, sitting down doing a podcast like this is great. Like this is just fun. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the stuff that you do in business isn't fun. Like working out all your finances and doing your taxes and all of like the sitting replying to 100 emails and stuff. You've just got to do it. And I think yeah. in those moments, the dark stuff motivates you way more than the dream of the Ferrari or whatever the vision of winning is. I think yeah. pain motivates you far more than pleasure. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. Uh, like it, the thing is, as well as with it all, it's it's the failures. Yeah, that's everybody's learning point. So the, uh, you know, like little Timmy don't learn that the kettle's hot until he touches the kettle. Like yeah. you can tell him as much as you want. It's the same with everything, with business and with life. It's like you just gotta not be afraid to fail. You know what I mean? Just give it a go. You you're gonna fail. It's it's pretty much the only guarantee in life is that you'll fail at some stuff. Yeah, but you learn what went wrong, and then that's how you get better. Yeah. And it happens so so much so much in like the sport we do in crossfit yeah like I, it, it's but I, I, and again i don't think social media's helped that because people only put the good stuff on. yeah that's so it. people see everyone and they're like oh but they're managing to do this and they've only been doing crossfit this long it's like who gives a shit yeah. <laughs> like genuine like this is a hobby yeah like it's not paying your mortgage stop stressing so much about it like just just chill enjoy the process enjoy what you're doing it'll be the same with mountain biking yeah it's like just enjoy it. Yeah. The thing is as well, I think with social media is that you're right in that you only see the best of someone. But then as well, you only need to follow 100 pro mountain bikers or in your world, 100 pro CrossFit athletes. But then if they're posting two or three times a day, you can scroll on Instagram for two hours a day and only see the best in the world at something. Yeah, yeah. And that gives you a very warped perception of what 99.9% .9 of people are like because yeah. the vast majority are just normal people with jobs riding on a weekend or doing CrossFit on a, you know, every day, whatever. And I think when you scroll, you can see only the very successful. And it's the same with like the Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all that. You see, you can see the 20 rule. You only need to follow 30, 20 rules. Yeah. You're driving Lamborghinis. You don't know that they've got a rich dads. Like there absolutely will be some who've made it themselves, but you don't know the background of a lot of people. But yeah, I think yeah. it can give you a very warped perception. And that's the same for fitness. Like how many, how many people in this gym who come to this gym look like the fitness model that you see on the front of men's health? It's a tiny fraction, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. the people who come and do your classes, but it's still incredibly fit. Yeah. It's just the vast majority of us are never going to look like Thor. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, the whole like case with this as well is like for us, we have to spend such a chunk of time trying to explain to people that are petrified about CrossFit that it is for everybody because they've seen something on YouTube or on Instagram where you say it's exactly that. It's like the top whatever percent of the world doing something like, I can't do that. Yeah, and like, yeah. I'm not trying to make you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to make you like just fitter and healthier so you can enjoy your life a bit yeah, longer. Yeah. Like that's what we really are. We're a little gym in Sorby Bridge. Like I'm not churning out games athletes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but but 
but they have there in, in in their head that interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. So last question on kind of the army side of things. So you obviously went to Afghanistan to do a tour. That's something that you've always wanted to do, which I can understand you train for it. That's your, you must have had fear and nerves getting on that plane flying out or do you not? Is it just a totally different mindset? Um, I don't, I don't think so because you, it's a weird one. You've, you've trained for it. You're going with all the lads that you live with that, that you, you're more excited about it, I'd say, than fear. Okay. Like, you, you've trained for it, you know what you're doing, you're professionals, you've got really good equi- kit and equipment. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I was scared. I'd say it was more just like excitement and then going out and just getting the job done that you've spent X amount of years training to do. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know, training for, say, four years for a boxing match. And then finally getting to do the boxing match. Yeah, like you're going to be buzzing to finally get to do what you've been training yeah, that, that yeah. amount of time to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I don't know. I've never really been worried about... I don't know. I've never been worried about dying. I think maybe maybe the, the main concern could have been getting badly wounded. But, mm. I mean, I've got, I've got quite a few friends that have lost limbs. And you speak to them and, I mean... Times have definitely been like really dark for them, but they've all come out of it pretty good. Like a lot of them are all pro athletes now. Wow. So whether it's like I've got mates that are Olymp- Paralympic uh, powerlifters, I've got mates that are on the um, Olympic rowing team. Like I've even got mates that compete at a really high level and all around the world doing CrossFit. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not saying it. It was like amazing to happen to them, but what I am saying is, is they probably wouldn't have made it to the Olympics as a fully, okay, you know, yeah, able-bodied person, yeah, fully-bodied yeah. person. So in a way, it's been a very painful, but it's really like opened up their eyes. They've got to meet all the royal family through, yeah, Invictus Games and things like that. Like they've got to do stuff that they would never have done. So even with that, there's like a flip side to it. Everyone thinks it's really bad, yeah, but it can also change your life. Did you think that at the time or did you just totally push out the idea that you might lose your legs, to put it bluntly? Do you like just try and ignore that or did you think it at the time, think if it does happen, it's not the end of the world? I think you just don't even think about it. Like the the military, I think a lot of the services are like this. Like I know a lot of paramedics and firefighters and when you're dealing with stuff like that, you've got a very dark sense of humour. Yeah. And you switch off to stuff. It just doesn't affect you. Right. Yeah, and, and I think you just trained that way. Part of, your, part of your basic training teaches you to be like that. Part of everything that you go through through the military kind of does that with you. Um, so, like, you've, you've, I've, I've seen stuff that m- most of the population won't see of people being blown up and things like that and in pieces. And it doesn't affect you. It's weird because... it. For some people, they're like P- PTSD, not going off on a tangent about PTSD. No, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, but it affects people in all different ways. Like I've got a lot of friends that suffered really badly with it and that, are, are, quite frankly, their lives are ruined. And then I've got people that saw horrific things who are absolutely fine. It's, it's just weird. It's like there's no hard and fast rule on who it affects. Right. You'd think there should be some sort of scale. Yeah, of, like you could predict. You've you've seen this much gruesomeness, you, you, you're on a high list for probably getting PTSD. doesn't work that way. Right. I had people that barely saw anything where the whole lives are ruined now, where they ended up falling down that, you know, that rabbit's warren of drugs and alcohol and stuff to try and cope with it. 
and they've ruined their lives. Yeah. Whereas I saw, you know, like I say, there's other other people that I know that saw horrific things. Absolutely fine. And are they actually genuinely absolutely fine? Or do you think they're like fighting battles that they don't show? Because obviously in this day and age, there's a lot of bravado, not in any way saying they're like this, but there can be a lot of bravado where you say you're okay, but behind doors you're struggling. Or do you think it I just think... genuinely just doesn't affect some people? No, I just genuinely think it doesn't. I think it's just like everybody's brain's wired up a different way. Right. I think I, I think for those that haven't, I think, I think for those that do, I think there's a certain amount of time that they try and do that bravado. Like you don't just get back off tour and you're like, I've got PTSD. Yeah, of course. It's years down the line. Yeah. And I think they do hide it for a while. Um, but I think it manifests in other ways. Like my, my ex-girlfriend, she... I, I personally don't think she's right, but she thinks that I've got PTSD with, and but I, the way I cope with it is like with the businesses. Mm-hmm. Like I pump myself into the businesses and it keeps my head busy. Like, I mean, you've seen what I was like. I was up till, you know, three hours <laughs> last night. Painted. Yeah, like that. that's what I do with my life. And, I, you know, I'm, I've got a high work ethic, but she kind of thinks that some of that stems and she thinks some of it's PTSD related, whereas I don't. But like I say, how can you... I don't know who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. It's weird. It's, yeah. You can't really define. I suppose, can you do nothing for a week and do you feel okay when you do nothing or are you just constantly busy all of the time? I'm just, to be honest, I'm constantly busy all the time. Like even when I go on holiday, most of the time I have to take <laughs> my laptop with me. <laughs> Genuinely, like I've been, like last two holidays, I've been at the side of the pool doing payroll and stuff like that yeah, and sorting yeah. issues out. Um, I'd love to get it to the point where I'm not. But I also think that I'd need about a three or four week holiday because I think it'd take me about a week and a half yeah. to stop, I suppose, like reaching for my phone and for yeah, yeah. the laptop. Like if we were going on a proper holiday, I'd like to not take my laptop. But it's uh, and it'll lead on something we're going to talk about later on with the row. But I think that's going to be a massive challenging part of it is the first sort of two or three weeks of having zero comms and switching completely off from yeah, yeah. your businesses. Yeah. It's going to be weird. Well, if you're anything, so I, th- I could, so I, we went away for, I got married in August and we went away for almost a month. I was off work for like the whole of, whole of August. So I pre-scheduled every Facebook post, every Instagram post, everything was ready to go. The only thing I had to do was reply to emails, which took about half an hour a day. So it was like every morning do half an hour of work. And I found that even though I could see that my business is doing fine, I can see sales, I know everything's getting paid. I found that through that month, my anxiety built up and up and up and up and up and up. Mm. Like just, it was, I don't know if, I think it's very hard when you've got a business to not work on your business. And you can only, for me anyway, and I'm sure you, well, you're clearly the same. I find you can only go so long. And it, was, it wasn't even like, I did want to go back to work because I missed it. But I did find I was getting more and more anxious about not working. You almost feel like you should be, even though I knew that all of the work was ticking away. And there was, you yeah. know, a lot of people didn't even know I was away because I was still replying to emails every day. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting, interesting to see. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm 100% like the same train of thought. And you can see it in everything that we do. Like as soon as I box a project off, realistically, I should have some free time back. And instead I fill it with another project yeah, yeah. straight away. Yeah. So it's like my, worst, my own worst enemy. Yeah. So you did 10 years in the military. You decided to come out for reasons you've kind of touched on already. You got fed up of that, that life, I suppose, and that, that polarization of not being ill, the progression being given to the wrong person and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Was it always a dream to own a gym? I know a lot of... A lot of PTs, a lot of PTs, the dream is to own a gym. For me, it's never been that, but I know a lot of PTs. Was that a dream for you, like, to have this? Um, 
No, definitely not a long, like, like long, long-term dream. Like I said, like when I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Went building for seven years. And this is a thing, like, I suppose realistically, I was quite old getting into the gym scene. Yeah. You know. Because you've been 32, yeah. 33? Like 32 opening up my gym. I think that's a much better, I mean, you need to have some money to be able to do it, but I think it's a much better age than 22. I thought I knew it all at 22. And yeah. I knew absolutely nothing. But, yeah, but there's the bit of me that's like, so it's, and again, this is that double-edged kind of thing where there's part of you that's like, what if I'd have got into this at 18? Where would it be now? Mm-hmm. Instead of the years in the military and the years on the building site, if that had all been into the fitness industry, where would I be now? Mm. But it was... It's also the years on the building site and in the military that got me to where I'm at, not just like mindset wise, but also skill set. Like yeah. when I when I left the, the military, I had no unit, but I knew that this was what I was gonna do. And I had this stupendous drive to make it happen. So again, whereas a lot of people would be like, you know, well, it's hard, so I'm not gonna do it, or I can't find a unit, so I'm not gonna do it. I have none of that in my head. Genuinely, I'm like, I don't know, I don't get how people do have doubt. I'm like, it might not happen the first time or the second time or the third time or the 800th time, but if you keep going, it'll happen. Yeah. That's just the way my head's wired up. Yeah. So I left the military. I had no industrial unit. I had a bit of savings and I was like, well, I don't, I don't really know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. And I, we actually went on a, a motorbiking trip down to Barcelona to watch a MotoGP with my brother and some, some of my brother's kind of friends, kind of family friends. So we went down, there's about five of us, I think. And we'd watched the MotoGP and we were about to come back, like head back to um, Santander to get the ferry back up. And I just went, fuck it. Got a note to come back for. So I just went off. I had no plans and went off all around Europe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, did all like south coast of Spain, France, Italy, uh, got a pirate ship from Italy over to Albania, through Albania. An actual pirate ship or is it was that near just... enough, trust me. Like it was the dodgiest <laughs> thing I've ever been on in my life. And just got off in this like weird port in Albania where no one spoke, spoke English with those massive like Russian hats. Yeah, and that lot was yeah. like, Jesus. Sat nav stopped working because it was out of the EU. I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do here. Sent me down some little, so I was on a, like a sports bike on an hour one as well. It wasn't exactly like a comfy bike to do it. Down some like mud lane. I was like, I'm, I'm never seeing home, nigga. <laughs> and then ended up somehow managing to find the motorway, found some fuel. It was like, it, honestly, like you don't you don't get to do stuff like that unless you're willing to just do it. Yeah. Off cusp, no plan, didn't know where I was going. I was literally, as I was driving along, I'd just be looking on TripAdvisor at a service station and I'd, I'd be like, I'm roughly going to get to the Albuquerque Hotel there. And that's how <laughs> I lived. Just went all the way through. So down all the way down to Greece, uh, back up through like Albania and... Um, across to like switzerland geneva back up to brussels to see some people and just then, then back up and home Whoa. so it was, yeah like amazing but then got back and literally within a week or so of getting back this unit became available and i'd this. first yeah and i first looked at this unit probably about five years before ah uh, right okay so i was like sod it it's fit yeah yeah let's do it so i took it on i practically lived here so I pretty much moved into like the little office room that's next to the open gym bit up there. So for those listening to it and like the podcast, or you can see a bit on video, there's kind of three parts in there. So you've got the front bit, which is, I'd say like a picture, like a sawdust CrossFit type gym with barbells and that kind of thing. Then you've got the big room that we're in, which is where you could fit 
100 people could do in here, 50 people do a class or whatever, so, yeah. 50 people in here do a CrossFit class. Then in the other bit, you've got what's more of a typical gym, which is more polished, proper mirrors, like your typical gym setup. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so it came available. Yeah, so this this became available. And I, again, this is where that previous stuff, so military, living living rough, not not caring too much about your home comforts, seven years on a building site. So I lived in here and completely literally revamped lived it. in here. Yeah, there was grass growing in the floor and everything when I came in. Also, oh, it was literally like just an empty kind of unit, was yeah. it? Whoa. Barren unit, horrific. I'll show you some photos of it. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. horrific. Yeah, you'll have to send them through and Zach can put them on the YouTube. Yeah, just stripped the whole place out, sprayed everything, painted everything, resorted the electrics, did the whole lot, built all the toilets, the coffee shop room, everything like that, everything built by me. Um, and then opened up, but even through that, the business loan fell through halfway through. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do this. So inst again, instead of being like, right, let's just bow out, I just cracked on. Yeah. I didn't even give it much thought. I was just sort of like, oh, well, I'm just cracking on. Something will happen. And lo and behold, we, I managed to get the money and, and we managed to open up. And then we've built that. After, um, the couple of years or so in, the unit next door became available. Right. And that's when I was like, right, let's go again. So it started as just a CrossFit gym, did it? Yeah. Just doing classes. Yeah. Got you. And then that's then took took the unit on next door, knocked through, built the doorway. It was me, so I'd be coaching here, and then I'd go in there on an evening and completely built all that place as well. Built everything, all the walls, everything in there. Um, and then obviously opened up that gym. Uh, and then in the meantime, just before we opened the gym next door, that's when we'd started the events business as well. So yeah, just relentless, but never, never once just thought, well, I'm not going to succeed. It's yeah, just yeah. a case of how you succeed. Yeah. I believe, I can't remember who told me this. I don't know if it's public knowledge or whatever. It's nothing major. I believe you nearly opened the gym near like in between Rishworth and Rippenden at the end of Bar Lane, did you? Was there a unit there where there's an Indian restaurant? Uh, we were looking, yeah, we were looking. At I can't remember who told me. Right. Um, but that would have been ideal because that's two minutes from my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the other reason I said it. Yeah, we looked at a few. <laughs> to be honest, that's where I'm trying to go with the gyms is I'm trying to... Big part of where we're trying to go behind the scenes is build the infrastructure for gyms. So the systems... Okay, yeah. Staffing systems, advertising systems, everything like that. And then we've got something there where we can help people actually run a profitable gym. Yeah. And we, we're looking to kind of license out graph gyms again for like brand awareness to get that out Got you. further. So we, we're going to try and help them. But um, but yeah, definitely for more locations. Down yeah. the line. So you did the CrossFit gym. How long did it take you? So open day, people turn up on open day. Was it like a massive launch leading up to it? And then it's loads of people turn up on day one or was the door open and you kind of sat here on your own? Yeah, it was tough. So we, we obviously I did it up. We did, we did flyers. I think we did a bit of Facebook marketing. We, we did a few bits. But also, there, I mean, there was there was other CrossFit gyms in the area as well. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I think I'd been probably coaching it the most and I was I was good at what I did. I've, I'd had the, I had the most experience yeah. um, just being a coach and being a, with the military and things like that. Uh, and I was probably one of the best CrossFitters in the area. So to come back and open it up, it was actually tough because I'd lived away for 10 years. Right. So it wasn't like you were opening it up and all your mates from the rugby club and this, that, and the other oh, were coming to support you. Yeah. It was, I was opening it up as if I'd been a foreigner. Yeah. So people still remembered me, but they weren't necessarily gym goers. Yeah. 
So you were starting from scratch in a town where you'd not lived for 10 years. Yeah. So yeah, it was tough, but then we had to, well, I had to work hard on that, on marketing, building that, build, you know, delivering the best coaching that I could and reputation got around and, and we, we built pretty fast. But now the challenge for me is how you replicate that now as a business without you. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like it's okay, you putting your heart and soul into something. Like yeah. for instance, you, how do, how would you scale your business to other people doing yeah. the podcasts and doing the video yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. So you sit back and can push the business in other areas. Yeah. That's where I'm at now with this. So yeah. it's like, how do you now build your staff to deliver the amazing coaching, amazing programming, amazing customer services? Yeah. And I imagine it's a different beast altogether doing it on a different site, isn't it? It's one thing getting the guys here because you can see the good PTs and you can be with them every day. But I imagine that's even harder, isn't it? Or a totally different beast doing it in a totally different gym yeah. where you can't be there all the time. Yeah, well, we, I mean, that happened with us. We bought, I bought okay. a gym over in uh, Bradford Way uh, okay. in Crosshills. So it's not just around the corner, is it? It's a drive away. It's not five minutes. Exactly. So it might as well have been hours. It was like 45 minutes if, if it was decent traffic-wise. But because we didn't have the systems in place, the coach there... As frustrating as it is for me, is I have to take responsibility for this. And I, that's the way I always run my life and my businesses. Now, I think he took liberties, but he took liberties because we didn't have the systems in place right. to keep him accountable. Um, so it ended up getting to the point where as soon as I got busy with other projects or with the events and didn't wasn't on his back about everything, we went from being profitable to losing money per right. month. Okay. Obviously, they're getting paid the same. Right. What do they really care? It's yeah. like, well, I can't keep paying you if you're going to do this. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up managing, like selling the gym, and I, luckily I managed to sell all the equipment, so I pretty much got money back out of it. Um, and it was quite a lucky escape, really. But yeah, that that was a big learning curve for me. But again, it's the failures that make it. It's the failures that said, like, right. So what I need to do is I need to assess what went wrong here, and it was the systems and accountability for the staff there. And it's also, I can't sit here and say, well, it, it was all his fault. Like yeah. he had a working business and I was pushing loads of money at it and there was advertising there. And it, we, I mean, in the first three months, we grew at 50% revenue wise. Right. Like what I was doing was working. Yeah, yeah. But I needed, arguably I needed better people there, but what I really needed was better systems so that the people there had, if they were keeping to the systems, yeah, they should have carried on being profitable. Yeah. So that's where we're at, like with the yeah, business now. Yeah. I want to build systems that work so that then you've got that as a package. So it's exactly like why there's value in McDonald's. Yeah, that's what I just thought of then. Yeah. It's just that it is a system, isn't it? It's 100%. Just, yeah, yeah. 100%. That's what you're buying from a franchise is, and that's why the banks will lend you money to buy a franchise. They, they've got ratings on certain oh, okay. franchise models. So if you go to the bank and you're like, I want to get a loan, like I've got the deposit, I need the rest of the money to buy... I don't know. Let's say one that's not as successful. So like Snap Fitness. Yeah. Because I know that a lot of them have gone bust over the last couple of years. Right. But the, the bank would probably be less inclined to lend you that money because the franchise model is okay, okay, but not great. If you go to the bank and you're like, right, I've gone through the process and McDonald's have accepted me to buy a franchise. I just need the money. Yeah. The bank will just go, sweet, don't. Yeah, yeah. Because no one, no one loses at McDonald's. Yeah, of course. The systems are so brilliant. And it's such a well-known brand yeah. and everything that the bank just goes, yeah. 
And they're very clever, aren't they, with where... Because McDonald's, I believe, own all the land, don't they? So they're actually more of a property business. Yeah. And they really know where to buy. Yeah. That's the big... So if they just put someone on there, they know it's going to be a moneymaker and they own the land and then rent That's it out, crazy. don't they? They'll even, they'll even buy slots, to, like plots, just to like stop rivals being there. Yeah. So they'll yeah. buy plots just to make sure Burger King can't have yeah, it and stuff like yeah. that. It's crazy. Yeah. Clever. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice one. Um... That, that's perfect. That's really good. So you did the gyms and then you moved into your events company, didn't you? Um, yeah. So CrossFit Games events, I should say. So how did how did that come about? Was that because you'd started doing CrossFit kind of classes here and it was a natural progression? Or No. So when I, when I was in the military, I was competing at CrossFit. Um, so I'd done a few around the UK. I'd done some in Europe. And I, I, it, was, it was something that I really enjoyed doing, especially being a, like a competitive sports person as a kid and everything growing up. I really like that element of it. I, I actually really specifically love the like the tactical side of CrossFit. Like if you're playing footy, you're playing footy. Like you, you can be an amazing striker, you can do this, that, and the other. Um, but with CrossFit, there's so much strategy to it. Right. Of like how hard you, if you go really hard at the beginning of a workout, someone's someone that didn't put 100% in at the beginning is probably going to come past you. Right, okay. Because they've to hit a nice energy system all the way through. Got you. So it's, I suppose if you were going to do it with mountain biking... Yeah, same kind of thing. You can't sprint just out went the gate. completely out of the gate, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know you're going to catch them in, like a mile down the road when yeah. they're panting. And so it's it's very similar with that, but then there's the multiple different skill sets. So there's, you know, weightlifting in there, how good you are at gymnastics, then just your overall conditioning of how fit you are to be able to push through basic movements. So there's so much involved in it. That for me, it was just like, it was like a drug. I just loved it. Okay. So then when I came out and opened up the gyms, that was like, I was doing that out of passion for a sport. I could now have a business that's doing the sport that I loved. Um, so I suppose it's like a football coach opening up a coaching academy. It pays the bills. It's like sweet. Yeah. Um, but then it was it was myself and a friend um, who, I think, I think we were just actually having a pint in the local pub. And um, we got chatting about it and I was like, you know what like the uk crossfit scene is just crap right i was like he's still spitting sawdust it's like that it, they'll hire a sports hall out and then they'll be like crap coffee and maybe like two crap vendors right okay and it's like it's like where it's not like if you're taking part i get it because you're doing it but it's not like going to be great for spectators it's not like a really high-end sport yeah i was like I think we can do better. Yeah. And we just sort of like sat down, chatted about it, and we're like, fuck it, let's go for it. Let's just see what we can do. Yeah, yeah. And somehow, somehow like we sat down, we managed to find a, an equipment supplier. And in the early days, we had to try and sell a lot of the equipment for them. But an equipment supplier called Wolverson came with us, who back uh -huh. then were like a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, and we're still with him to this day. Oh, okay. He's so, a really nice guy, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the Jason. owner. He messaged me. I was doing my garage up, and he thought I was turning my garage up into a gym, but I wasn't. It was to park my car in and do videos in and whatnot. And he messaged me, and I spoke, jumped on the phone with him for about an hour. Yeah. To say he's got this huge business, like, super sound guy. Yeah, yeah, Really yeah. nice. Really nice. Like, he rings me up just to chat about stuff. Yeah. And it's weird, because it's like, it's purely a business relationship, but it's more than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... They, they kind of, I suppose, went on a punt with us. Um, and we, we put it on at this at Leisure Centre over in Huddersfield, at the, the Cal one at the top of the ring road. And um, 
again, just so many learning curves. It was a it was a wooden floor, so I had to buy loads of floorboards to put down so that the floor oh, didn't get wrecked. Yeah, cause dropping barbells on it over I and had over. To do everything, and we went from this 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 company of just two lads having a crack at this to before lockdown, we were like one of the biggest brands in the space already. Okay, booking out these big arenas and putting it on, um, and then through COVID, by this point, myself and my business partner John. The relationship had got a little bit sour because we weren't really communicating. Um, so I think there was a lot of frustration on both parts. John was doing the event organizing. And to be honest, he was definitely not getting paid for the amount of hours that he was putting in. But I wasn't getting paid at all. Right. Really. I took about £500 per event and that was it. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably a pound an hour or something less about Less. It. Yeah, way less. <laughs> um, so... I think there was a bit of resentment both ways, but then because there was no communication there, I was the face of the business. So a lot of the CrossFit's community knew me. So I was kind of the face of it and he was behind the scenes. But then that led to, like I do all the briefs and everything. So then I wouldn't get the information till like the night before of what the workouts were, which when you've got to go and stand in front of a couple of thousand people. Yeah, and confidently. Read them out yeah. and answer any questions that come to them. Put a lot of stress on me. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and it kind of come to a point. So when we went into... Um, into COVID, we'd obviously taken a chunk of money for events that now weren't going to happen. And it left us in a situation. It left us in a really bad situation. I bet it did. Well, business-wise, massively bad because I'd been pushing John for a year to switch to a limited company that I'd set up, whereas oh, we no. were just as a partnership. Oh, no. So we were both personally liable for all that. Oh, God. Oh, So that's you can awful. imagine how annoyed I was when I was like, I set that up a year ago. We should be trading through it. So... Again, bit of a bit of a stressful time, <laughs> um, but we ended up going our separate ways, and and again that didn't end great because you've got two people that both want the business, yeah, go this way or that way. But um, I ended up taking the business, um, and then managed to find a new event organizer, Claire, and then came out of lockdown. And again, while I was still working as a builder and everything, we did the thing called the jailbreak tour. So really small compared to what we normally do. But I just took my pickup with loads of weights in the back and trailer with loads of Harris fencing and stuff like that. And we just used to go to, I think we did about six of them just around the UK. Okay. And we, we teamed up with other CrossFit gyms and went down and put a comp on. Yeah, local. yeah. Because we could get around it with the local restrictions with COVID at the time. Right, okay. So we were traveling for work so we could travel. Yeah. And we could still get enough customers from the local area. Right, that Even okay. if there was a local lockdown, we could do it. So I was pretty clever with like constructing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it meant at the moment, at that time, there was still no live events allowed. Yeah. So no one else was doing events. Yeah. So we were the only company out there doing it. Sort of filled everyone a bit. <laughs> exactly. But it just, again, like I was talking to you before about being current current and cut, uh, on people's radar and on yeah. their social media. We were the only events company on everyone's social media. Yeah, of course. So it was a really, really good idea. Um, and then through lockdown, I bought another events company as well. So coming out of that, we, we obviously like grew those. We rebranded the, the company that I'd bought. Um, and I also ended up picking up the Arnold Fitness game. So we we do the CrossFit side of the Arnold's event. So is that to do with, I'm a total, don't know anything about the event. I know that you do that. Is that to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger then? Yeah. Is that where it comes from? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So, so it's like the the UK Arnold's event. So the Arnold, they have like an Arnold Sports Festival. Okay. 
main ones over in Ohio. Yeah. And then there's, I think there's one in Italy, maybe one in Spain, and, and then there's a UK one that started right. just just on coming out of COVID. Oh, okay. Um, so again, like surreal time for me where coming so like through COVID, everybody's whinging about being furloughed. I had two businesses that I didn't have a clue what was happening with. I had the most amount of stress in the world on my shoulders going imagine. on with them. I'd just bought another events business. Didn't know whether I was going to even be, be able, able to do events. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I can get it cheap now. Yeah. You've, yeah, you've got course, to take these yeah. gambles. So I'm yeah, having it. Yeah, yeah. So I did that. And then I'm on a building site to try and make sure my businesses and my mortgage still gets paid. Just bought another house that we're renovating at the moment. That's why I've been up since God knows what time. And then getting invited, covered in all my work kit to the office, to the Arnolds to speak to their team about putting that on for them. It's like, but it's that mindset of like, don't say no, be relentless. Don't quit at stuff, just keep going. Yeah, yeah. And like, I grew our company by about 600% through lockdown. Wow. So, but it's about being relentless. So yeah. now we've pushed out of that. I've just bought 50% of another CrossFit events company. So this year, we we should have 10 events, wow. nearly one a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the big events, aren't they? When yeah. I was, like I say, I was watching the video, they're probably even bigger than the one I saw, but this was one back in 2022. And it's a full articulated lorry is like parked down there by the look of it, loading it up and then yeah, loading yeah. vans up and all. It's a massive event, isn't it? With yeah, like yeah. loads of people there. And that's just from ours. So obviously still working with Wolverson, their stuff turns up. So normally at these events, we've got probably about two to three Arctics full of equipment. Whoa. It's an absolute huge undertaking. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Anything up to probably like 4,000 people at our busiest. And then obviously with the Arnolds, that goes up to 60, 70,000. That many people go? Yeah, yeah. Flipping heck. Yeah. Wow. It must be hard to get your head around that, having everything ready for that many people. Even like toilets and food and like... Yeah. Crazy. It is. But, but like this is part of why we do the documentary is we wanted people to actually see behind the scenes because everyone thinks, one, everyone thinks you're loaded because you put these events on, even though they're the same as a CrossFit gym. They're not, they're not massively profitable because you can only fit so many people in. Right. You know, and, and it's the same with the CrossFit event. We can only get so many athletes through in a weekend and they're only going to bring so many spectators. Yeah. It's why like High Rocks earns... 10 times as much as we do on an event because everyone's only there for about an hour 30. Right, okay. Running round, you know what I mean? And then right. they're out and then another lot are going round uh, and okay. they're all go, going in waves so that they get anything from about four or 5,000 people through right. per event. I think I've heard up to about 7,000 or some. Right. So it just doesn't compare. Yeah. Um, but it's about getting rid of those misconceptions. It's about people thinking like you just rock up and it's, it's like, no, I'm the one driving the forks. I'm the one putting all the stuff down with the team. We still do everything. So we wanted that story to be told. And especially like a lot of our workforce are volunteers. So you want them to have their like, you know, their reward for the work that they do as well. Yeah, yeah. And doing these events and the gym and expanding the gyms is all about that kind of bigger picture that you were talking about before, isn't it? Where you want Graft to become more than just that. You want it to become a brand that stands for what you were telling me before off camera, which yeah. is actually to repeat on camera. We'll try and get it. We'll try and remember it. You've got to do it with the same passion and vigor. Yeah. So, well, the thing is, is obviously it start, we started out as a gym and back then there were different names, but the yeah. vision all along was to bring everything under one brand. I just didn't really know at that time what the brand was. Okay. So, for instance, the CrossFit gym used to be called CrossFit Boudica. Next door, the other gym, the 24-hour the one, 
That was called the Lift Lab. But they, they, in my eyes, they were never permanent names, and I knew that right. even setting them up. You just need a trading name for your company, yeah. et cetera. Um, and again, the rebrand came coming out of lockdown. Uh, and we'd played around with Graft a few times, um, looking at maybe having it as a clothing brand. And I just thought, do you know what? I just want it as an encompassing brand. Like, it resonates so much with me. I mean, you can already tell from the stuff that we've said, like, I will never shy away from work. I, do, I think any top athlete... So for an athletics brand point of view, any top athlete has that hard work capacity. I think anybody that's just an achiever in business, in anything, has a hard work ethic. Like that's what it's all about. And to me, like that's what graft is epitomizes. It's about people that are willing to work hard for whatever their goals are and not just take the easy road and not quit every time something gets in the way. But those that are actually like, no, I'm in this for the long run. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to get it done. So for me, it's not even just a sports brand. It's more of a, a mindset and outlook. And that's where we're trying to go with it now is more than just the events or the gyms is we sell like merchandise. We, we're starting to build accessories. We're starting to go further, even, even to the point now where we're trying to get garments actually made for us rather than buying kind of okay. off the shelf garments and getting them printed. Yeah. Where like that, we don't want to look like everybody else. We actually want our own look. So we want to go somewhere and actually create garments now, create the t-shirts exactly how we want. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we're trying to push with it now. So I'm not going to say we're ever going to get to the, the sort of scope of, you know, Gymshark or anything like that. But we've got those aspirations of actually like building it into a brand now. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That's amazing. Well... I think all of that isn't enough to keep you busy. So because of that, you've, as everybody else would do, you've decided that you're going to roll the Atlantic, haven't you? Yeah. So I've got the website ready for this because I think it just kind of does it justice. So you're rolling the Atlantic in December. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. I'm just going to read it from the website because they do a ridiculous like breakdown. And I think it sums up perfectly who they're trying to get. Um, so it's called the world's toughest row. That's yep. right. The world's toughest row brings together teams from all walks of life, united by the same objective, to take on the unique challenge of crossing an ocean in a rowing boat. The atmosphere is electric as people help each other prepare for the challenge of the mighty Atlantic Ocean. Teams battle with sleep deprivation, salt sores, and physical extremes inflicted by the race. Rowers are left with their own thoughts, an expanse of the ocean, and the job of getting the boat safely to the other side. The race offers different experiences to all involved. The challenge creates strong friendships, and competitiveness gives way to the camaraderie that is required to complete the challenge. And when I was looking, the absolute fastest you can possibly do this is 30 days, I think, isn't it? Is like the fastest. Yeah, I think th I, th I'm, I think they've just broke the record with 35 days. Right, well, there Might you go then, wrong. so 35. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to be in a rowboat rowing with four of you, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, another three three people. And bearing in mind <laughs> with that as well, um, up until, Jesus, probably five months ago now, I only knew one of those. right. <laughs> So it's just like... So it's strangers then, isn't it, really? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But again, it's one of these... So two of them are McDonald's franchisees. Um, so we're doing it for the Ronald McDonald Housing Charity. Okay. So it's a really good charity. Um, and obviously they're massively behind it with it being McDonald's stuff. Um, the other one is a friend of theirs that does a lot of contracting work for McDonald's. So, so that's how they kind of know him. And then for myself... They, they needed another person and because and, and, I know one of them, they're kind of blah, 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 chatting to me. And 
it's just one of those like again i think my head works slightly different to other people and it's like yeah it's going to be hard it's going to be this that, and the other but i was like when else do you get the opportunity when else does someone ask you do you want to do something that literally next to no one on this planet has done like how many people have done it do you know I don't know, but the, like one of the stats that they throw out is more people have been in space than have done this. Right, wow. Like, there's not a lot. And because bear in mind, like, it's grown now, so there's quite a few boats leave each year. It's, there's only one crossing per year because that's when the trade winds allow. So that's right. why it's in December. Okay. So it's not, you go, you're going across the equator, so you're going from the Canaries just off Africa. Yeah. You kind of head south and the trade winds and tides help you across and then to the Caribbean. Um, so you can't do it the rest of the year because of the hurricane seasons and stuff like that. Like it'd be absolutely lethal. So there's only one a year and they do multiple things. So I think like this year in a four-man boat format, which is what we'll be doing, there's maybe been five or six. So you think even that over that amount of years, and that's if they're successful and make it all the yeah, way. Like someone yeah. died this year. Um, what happened? So unfortunately I had a heart attack, right. but it's not like you can quickly get an yeah, AED on and course, an ambulance yeah. and then they're gone. So I'm pretty sure that had it have happened at home or at work, they'd probably be recovering in hospital right now. But mm. when you're out of sea, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things there that, that can happen. You know, they get, there was, there's been marlin strikes, so swordfish have gone through the boat. So then you've got to like try and repair your boat. And are you on your Todd or is yeah, it like yeah. literally on your own? Yeah, yeah. You don't have like support there's, next to you. There's one safety boat, which, which like a support boat, which is a sailing boat, but just one. Yeah, just but one. But then everybody could be hundreds of miles apart. Thousands. <laughs> so that that's the difference. Like it's that they can be thousands of miles apart. So the boat has to kind of stick, probably where it's most useful. So towards the center, really. Yeah. So for instance, if you're at the back something bad happens that boat might be five days away from you and they, even then they might not be able to come and get you because what do they do about the rest yeah yeah because now they're 10 days or 15 days away from somebody else so it's it's a it's like it's really dangerous it's it's an actual it's one of the last kind of like real dangerous challenges that's out there like even I, i'd love to go up mount everest but even that dwindles more and more the more I find out about it because it's like 10 a penny going up that now. I tell you what I don't like about the idea of Everest as well, not that I've ever contemplated genuinely doing it, is you hear stories of people just paying a lot of money who aren't fit, who then like panic on the like on the ladders and stuff and freeze and you can't go until they've gone. Yeah. And you hear of people dying because they're getting stuck behind Mick, who's an accountant who decided he wants to do it and now he's like shit himself yeah. and can't go on. And I hate the idea that it's not because of you or because of an avalanche that you, you've died. It's because someone's there who shouldn't be there. Yeah. but they're like this, That puts me off I've massively with that. snippets of video and it looks like... Yeah, just it's like, like queues up. Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, a yeah. tourist attraction. It's yeah. like, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, like what, yeah. follow 15 other people up and... Like, no, you've lost all like the challenge of it. Yeah. It's like, I want to do something that nobody else really wants to do yeah yeah like that's cool that's <laughs> that, that that's like that's the point of doing it so yeah so it'll be it'll be horrific so do you have to carry all your food everything you've got some emergency stuff boat? um it's about 33 foot right but you've got a cab in front and back so literally in in the center bit yeah you maybe maybe meter meter 20 wide yeah so not a lot of space either side and then 
you've got enough pl enough space for three people to row, and right. that's it. Oh, so and one rests, three row. No, so we we we'll probably be doing it two up, two off. Ah, uh, okay. So you'll, you'll two of your row for two hours, while two do admin, sleep, eat, and everything else. Yeah, and then they'll switch over. So it'll be two hours, two hours on, two two hours on, two hours off until you're done. Until you're done. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it depends. So like it. If storms hit, sometimes you've just got to be in the cabins. So if a storm does hit, you just have to battle down and just yeah. get in the cabin. So you think you don't if a storm think... hits for like four days, you're literally just in a cabin yeah. with a person that you don't know that well yeah. for four days. <laughs> Horrific. And if like if the boat gets a leak, so presumably you could be just nowhere near help. Is that is that right? You... I know you've got your one boat, but then if you had to call the Coast Guard or whatever, they could... <laughs> Oh, there isn't a Coast Guard, is there not? No, you, there's no. You, you're 3,000 miles away. Like, you, So right when you're in the middle, you're 1,500 miles away from anything. Okay. There's nothing coming for you. So there isn't help? No. So if you nothing. need help, there's that boat, but that might not be able to come. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's the odd shipping tanker and stuff like that. So, yeah. But, but then you've got other things of like the boats, 95 grand. Right. Wow. Flipping it. Like if you just leave that and abandon it. Yeah. The insurance ain't going to pay. Yeah. It'll pay if something happens, like, I think it's up to about 12 miles offshore, but then after that, you're in international waters. Right. So you just leave it, potentially leaving 95 grand. So the, it, honestly, it, it's crazy. <laughs> like, you ain't leaving it. It's really hard to get your head around yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ain't leaving it. But it's, it's daft things like if, if the boat capsizes for whatever reason, if you've not shut the hatch... Yeah then water gets in and that might be all your navigation and your your radios, your sat phone, the whole lot, yeah. gone, yeah, destroyed. So now you've got no way of even telling anyone that you're in the shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's proper. Hardcore. Yeah, it's, if you get... What happens if it does capsize? Is it like a kayak and there's ways of getting it round? Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to, like re uh write itself but right. obviously if you've got water in the cabins it won't do that so right. then you've got different ways of trying to get the water out and yeah. this that, and the other um but again it's one of those you get it back up and then you've just got a nightmare on your hands because you can't even let anyone know yeah that you've now got no nav you don't know imagine being a thousand and what like thousand miles away from anywhere and no. not knowing how, where to head have you heard the stories of um orcas attacking boats yeah, yeah. So there's been orcas, there's been shark attacks, there's yeah. been all sorts. <laughs> this so, is mental. Yeah, yeah, It's just yeah. mates. Everything else that we've been talking about so far, it's like, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, this just dwarfs all the, all the rest yeah. of it. Well, that's it. Like the lads, we've done quite a lot of like goal setting and, and different bits and bats for this. And, and kind of, I think the lads got a bit ahead of themselves and they wanted to, they were like, should we go for the win? Should we do this? Should we do that? And I was like, lads, I'm not taking the piss, but we're four middle-aged blokes, like, Nick's in his 50s, we're all in our 40s. There's like stupidly hench sets of four men, like teams of blokes yeah. that are barely managing to do this and surviving. I was like, let's just get across. Like, I'm pretty sure that's an achievement. Yeah, I agree. Like, let's do that. And also... And next year. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, you see, this is the thing. I just think it's stupid because so much depends on an uncontrollable, which is the weather. Yeah. So... This year, I think they've broke the record doing it in 35 days because it's been horrific. Right. Because they've been surfing down 15-foot waves all the time <laughs> because the storms have just been pushing them that way. So it's been a horrific... So that's faster, is it? Yeah, right. yeah. There's been absolutely... Because you, you usually... I think you row normally about... 
I think it's about 100, 100 miles a day, they reckon. But a wind can push you yeah. further than that. Yeah. So if the wind's against you, yeah. you might end up spending the whole day rowing and go nowhere. Yeah, yeah, just zero miles still. across yeah, land because you've just been pushing against the against the wind and the, the tide. Yeah. But then if it goes with you, all of a sudden you're doing way, way faster. So it's completely in like the 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 gods yeah there's there's no way you can be like yeah i'm gonna we're gonna do it we're gonna do we're gonna train like absolute pro athletes we're gonna get the fastest time it's like what if the wind's against you yeah how much would training even help for something like that like and you're gonna have to train of course you are but then is it not a bit like selection going back to that where even the fittest athletes in the world reach the point where they're done and then you just you just keep going because yeah. of your head. Is it not the well, same the, kind of thing for that? The lads are doing quite a bit of training, but I think I think the thing for them is that I, I'm probably the fittest out of the group with yeah. with what I do and everything. Um, so I think they've just got that underwhelming thing of feeling that they're not fit enough to right. do it, and they okay. need to do that training. Yeah, because your your starting point is fit. Yeah, you can't be unfit and do it. Yeah, whereas I'm trying to push them that I think the most important bits for me are team building learning the boat and how to do it, learning to be comfortable on the boat. I'm like, if, you, if you're comfortable on the boat and you know exactly how to make yourself a nice hot drink when you're cold and, and to do all those things and manage to cope with everything. And it's the same in the military. Like if in the, like in the military, especially where we were like as commando unit, you were really strict on like your, your, your field stuff and your jungle stuff. So your discipline and like coming coming in, for instance, absolutely soaking, freezing. You take your clothes off. You put your warm, like your dry stuff back on, getting your sleeping bag. Lazy people would just get in the sleeping bag. Yeah. And it's like, great. Now you've got a wet sleeping yeah, bag. Yeah. You've screwed yourself over for the whole rest of the, however long you're doing this, just because of the short-term goal of getting warm faster. Yeah. And also not getting colder in the short term of taking your clothes off and putting other ones on. It's a very short-minded mindset but it has massive implications down the line. Yeah, It's that sort of stuff that I want to work with with the lads. It's like, look, yeah. if you learn to be comfortable and learn to like, when you really don't want to do something, but you know it's the right thing to do because it has that longevity through what you're doing, that's that discipline that I think is keeps you like really well-trained as a mm -hmm. boat, as a team on the boat and pushing through it. Don't care about practicing rowing. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get... For us, probably 40 days of practicing that. Yeah. You're going to be pretty good at it by the time you get back. <laughs> like, doesn't matter. Like, you're going to row. But for me, it's like, but if you get out and you're dropping stuff over the side, which you now can't replace, and you can't even make an, a nice warm drink or cold drink yeah, or do this, that, or the other. Yeah. And you can't, you can't fix the water desalinizer and, and things like that. That's the stuff that's going to really hit you hard. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can deal with rowing. Yeah. Like, learning how to look after your blisters and stuff. Like, mm. I've seen some horrific photos of hands. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely horrific. Like, blisters on blisters on oh. blisters. But if you can look after that properly and make it so it hurts less and heals faster, that's more important to me than learning to row faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I agree. Row as fast as you want, but if you can't pick the oars up, Yeah. You're not rowing at all. And your body's going to get fitter at rowing very fast, isn't it? When yeah. you've been doing five days of it, your body's going to catch up quick because it's fight or flight in that kind of situation, isn't it? It knows yeah, yeah. that it needs to get good at rowing. Yeah. It's part of you not apprehensive at the point. So so when you went to Afghanistan, 
everybody there is trained to be there. They've gone through some kind of selection process to be there. And you've got a large team. You know that the Reds aren't going to fall off. And if they do, the system's in place to make sure that Johnny's lost his head, pull him back, put Carl in his place. Are you not a bit nervous that you don't really, you're not going doing it with three SAS mates or three Marine mates or whatever, who you know have got the mindset? Does that not make you nervous that you could get a thousand miles out and then one of the Reds will go and they could potentially put your life at risk? No. Uh, two of them are ex-military anyway. Okay. But no and it brings me on to a point that i've spoke to with the lads as well that no because you you fucked where are you gonna go yeah okay so what are you, gonna, are you gonna swim back yeah <laughs> it's tough sunshine we're doing it yeah so what, one of the things that, again that i've spoke with the lads is like they, they want to do umpteen uh trips like in the north sea and this that and the other yeah they, they wanted to uh roll last weekend yeah and I managed to talk them out of it. And we did a training session down here and then went to the pub and had a big chat about some of the admin stuff that we've got to do. Okay. And my whole point was like, it was chucking it down and it was one degree. Yeah. I was like, why do you want to have this like really negative view of what it's going to be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's not going to be cold when we do it because it, it's, you're going across the equator. Oh yeah. So it's not cold. Yeah. But it's like, but you, what you're going to do is you're going to put a really negative um, kind of, I don't know, blocker in your brain of being on that boat. Like you're going to have a rubbish, however many hours we're on it, you're going to be frozen, soaked, and just miserable. So then every time that's going to resonate with you yeah, when yeah. you think about that boat. Yeah. I was like, if uh, up to this point, we've enjoyed every session on yeah, the boat. Yeah, that makes sense. So I was like, if you keep on having that, it's positive reinforcement that the boat is a pleasurable place to be. Yeah. You know, it's, why, you know, people avoid houses that where, where something's happened to them at that house and things like that, you know, like tri childhood traumas and stuff. Yeah. There's no chance that childhood trauma is going to happen to them again. Yeah. But it's the location and yeah. it's a mind block in them. So why do you want to do that on the boat that we've got to go and spend 40 days on? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, just keep it to good times. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. And then you can, you can almost imagine it being a fairy tale can't you when you're on it and you've well, got yeah. nice happy or even thoughts. if it just turns into a nightmare you're like it's tough we're yeah, in it you're here now <laughs> we're here we've got to see it through we're either going there going back or drowning like yeah. it's something's happening yeah yeah but like i think they wanted to do quite a bit in um in the north sea and stuff and my point was it's it's quite a busy shipping lane i was like if you get in where we have a very narrow miss with a big tanker or something like that yeah that might really put the willies up, you know, yeah. Where you're like, actually, I've got kids. Yeah, I could potentially. I've got kids. Kids, the other three. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, why do you want to have that before you're actually doing the yeah. thing? Yeah. Like, once you're on it, it's like, shit, we could have died. It's like, yeah, yeah no, but we still got two thousand miles to go. So just yeah. get back rowing. Crack on. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, for me, it's like, don't scare yourself before you're going to get scared. Yeah. Save that for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen. When you're actually scared, it's too late. It yeah, matter. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's probably gonna happen. But I mean, there's going to be some amazing times as well. Like I've done, I've done some sailing across the Atlantic. Yeah, and it's just like it's unreal. Like at, at nighttime, you see the full Milky Way, which wow. you've never seen anything like it. Yeah, like if you've never yeah. seen the Milky Way, yeah, you might think like yeah, 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 yeah. But it's genuinely like, like a almost like a grey band across. Whoa. You can just see so many stars Whoa. that you just can't see in land. There's yeah, just too much too light much pollution, light. and then you've got. Like the algae in the sea, it's got a uh, phosphorescence in it. So you're listening it on David Attenborough shows and stuff. You know, where it, it like uh, glows for less, for less. Yeah, yeah. So when you're in the sea, every time you like break into the water and move these, yeah. they glow green. 
or turquoise. <laughs> you're going to be hallucinating. You're going to oh, be honestly, <laughs> I've done it. So I can remember when I was sailing and I was like, what's that? And went up to the front of the boat and there was, there was actually three dolphins swimming with us, Whoa. but they were fluorescent green because of this. Whoa. So you had, every time you like, kind of like the bar went in the in the water, obviously you push water aside. So they were now fluorescent green waves. Yeah. And then you had three fluorescent green dolphins swimming about. It's wow. like, it's amazing. Yeah. Like you, don't, you don't see it. You're not going to see it just going Anyone. to the beach and no, taking a speedboat out or whatever you can kind of normally do. It's like, yeah. you've got to be out in the middle of nowhere yeah, to see this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be like amazing. Those I don't think those guys have seen that sort of stuff. So I think it's going to be really good for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that's the place to place to finish. <laughs> we definitely need to have another podcast in what will it be a year? Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If I make it back, that's I'll be coming it, yeah. back with uh, like straggly hair and a massive beard. <laughs> I think they said when I was reading, I think the average you lose weight is eight kilos in thirty days, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So <laughs> you'll come back looking like me. <laughs> Honestly, it's, but I, again, this is why I'm trying to work with some like protein companies for a sponsor. Yeah, I'm kind of adamant to stay on top of the nutrition side of it yeah, and actually yeah. try and have as much, like re re uh, maintain as much muscle mass as possible. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, see if you come back skinny. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've heard it's like you, you pretty much have to learn to walk again once you get back. Oh, of course, because you won't have walked, will you? No, you roll, but other than you see, you're not yes. even really walking. No, you're, you're holding on to you're really not going to stand up tall, are you? And then exactly, yeah, of course. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Oh, we definitely that. need to do another podcast there with, uh, <laughs> with that. You can bring back some kind of mementos that, that <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. there'll be something. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it should be good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm training after this, so I feel exceptionally motivated for my workout. So that's. <laughs> And that'll get me through but no thanks for coming on we'll definitely get you back on in a year and then yeah yeah as long as you're up for it i want to hear all about it yeah for sure sound cheers for coming on pleasure